Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, live from Dubai. Um, today I'm joined by Brian Horwell, secondary head teacher at Safa British School and my boss. He's going to be talking all things teaching and leadership in an international setting. Join in the conversation by calling or texting in. Live from Dubai, this is The Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So good afternoon and welcome to what is my last ever Monday drive home show. Um, we're having some scheduling changes here at Teachers Talk Radio. So from Monday the 30th of May, I will be the new voice of the Monday Twilight show. Um, that is something I'm going to have to um, get used to saying and get my head around. I can imagine there's going to be a few little errors, but we'll go with it. Um, anyway, it's lovely to be back. And it has been an interesting couple of weeks since my last show on Teachers Talk Radio. And first of all, I need to give a huge thank you to Jeff Pedley, who joined me last time to talk about international teaching um, from his context over in Brussels. Um, Jeff carried the show like an absolute star, to be honest. Uh, 20 minutes before we were about to go live, I tested positive for COVID and felt positively dreadful. Um, I messaged Jeff and gave him the heads up and he was an absolute superstar. Um, he really, really stepped up um, as I was coughing and spluttering my way through. So I do apologize to anybody who um, was listening back and had to hear my voice gradually give up and then completely disappear. And yeah, a huge thank you to Jeff because it wasn't my greatest, but I am back. Almost recovered. And tonight I have got a guest who I am really looking forward to having on the show. Uh, Brian Horwell is the head of secondary at Safa British School in Dubai, and he is also my boss. Um, I'm never sure. I've done this to myself before. We've had our school principal on the show, and now I've got the head of secondary. I'm never sure if it's a good idea or not to interview your boss live on the radio, but there really is only one way to find out. So we're going to go with it and Brian will be joining me shortly. So I've mentioned on the show before that I am working with an amazing group of English teachers on the book, Key Stage 3, The Wasted Years, Not On Our Watch, which has been masterminded by the fabulous Freya O'Dell. Last night's meeting that we had saw the chapter really come to life as the structure began to take shape. I'm leading on the reading chapter, which is a huge passion of mine, and you all know that if you've listened to the show before. And it is truly an international project. We have got teachers from Mexico City, the UK, Italy, and obviously myself in Dubai, all involved with the writing of this one chapter. I think it's going to be quite epic. Um, and I'm really looking forward also to welcoming one of the contributors to that ch chapter, Holly Dukes. She will be joining me on the new Twilight show on June the 6th. And she's going to be there to discuss the amazing impact that she has had on student reading through her whole school reading program since they did away with Accelerated Reader. 
And I'm also really looking forward to trialing some of her ideas because they're fabulous. So whilst I mentioned the book, I am just going to give it a bit of a plug and say there is still opportunity to join us on the reading team if this is something that interests you and you could share your experiences with. We are a very passionate bunch, but it is always lovely to have lots of people on board. So if you are interested, you can get in touch with either Freya or myself, and I think probably the best way to do that would be through Twitter. Now, speaking of Twitter, the recent contentious issue over the weekend has been the ongoing debate regarding lending students equipment in lessons. I've stayed fairly quiet. I've been watching from afar and I've been reading people's comments. I've been really enjoying both sides of the debate, but it really has got me thinking. Because if I'm honest, I do get frustrated when students don't have the basics and I do have high expectations. I'm also nearly 34 and miraculously a pen hasn't actually ever exploded on me and I've never had to leave a lesson for its entirety to wash my hands. But in the grand scheme of things, I have to think, is it really a battle that we need to be having? Um, quite honestly, I do think that having high expectations is a classroom fundamental, I'm sure everybody would agree. Um, but I also really want to prioritise learning and I think those two things go hand in hand. Students in my classroom may know that they can ask for equipment, but the expectation, obviously, is this is an infrequent thing. I think, obviously, if it becomes a persistent issue, then that does warrant a conversation with parents. But when we think about everything that students have had to face in the last two years, the last thing, surely, we want to be doing is for them to be worried about asking for a pen or a pencil when they come into lessons, when we're trying to re-establish the routines and school life. And then I've been thinking about it more because obviously I'm in an international context and I'm thinking about it and looking at different backgrounds and different ideas. And I have taught many students in the UK and they've won the battle who just by getting into school on, on a daily basis. So surely they don't need to be hounded over equipment. It would be really, really interesting. Anybody listening in today to share your views. I'm going to keep coming back to this issue because I do think it's very interesting how it's kind of blown up over the weekend, but it'd be really nice for people to text in and to share their point of view. Anyway, I am digressing and I know that I need to move on. So before I go to the ads and the news, I am just going to very quickly circle back to reading because as I've already mentioned, and if you've listened before, you know I love to talk about it. But I just wanted to make you aware that there is an online international reading conference that is being hosted and organised by Reading Solutions UK that is going to take place in June. Um, June, I'm just checking, 14th to 16th to be very precise. Um, it's free and it features a whole range of speakers, including me. Um, and I am so excited about it, but I'm also very nervous in equal measure. It's the first time I've ever asked being asked to present in such a grand scheme of things. So yes, it's going to be very, very exciting, but nerve-wracking. And I am going to be talking about the fundamentals of reading, how we embed strategies in the English classroom and across the curriculum. And I will be presenting on June the 15th. Anyway, time is already running away. So I am going to jump to the news and the advert, and then Brian can join me after this.
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 £60 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a leaked document, senior officials at the Department of Education in England have warned that schools are in such a state of disrepair that they are a risk to life. Those officials who work for the Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, have warned that the current pace of 50 school rebuilding projects per year needs to be raised to more than 300. A spokesperson for the Department of Education told the Mail Online, the safety of pupils and staff is paramount. We have one of the largest and most comprehensive estate condition data collection in Europe, and this allows us to assess and manage risk in our buildings. We prioritise buildings where there is a risk to health and safety, and have invested £11.3 billion since 2015 to improve the condition of school buildings over the next decade. In addition, our new school rebuilding programme will transform the learning environment 
at 500 schools over the next decade. Following a statement from the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University, which recently told private schools that they will need to accept that they will admit fewer students to Oxbridge in the future. Education Secretary Nadeem Sahawi has responded by saying that admissions should be based on merit and evidence. He said, I think it should be based on merit and evidence. The thing to do is deliver great outcomes for all children, wherever they live, and especially our most disadvantaged children which is why I am flexing the system towards those areas that have fewer great schools or good outstanding schools. You don't create a system that people feel is fair and equitable by in some way thinking that there is an easy fix. The best thing you can do is create schools in the state system that are as good as independent schools, which we are. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to talk about a couple of shortcuts and hacks that can make life a little easier. This may not be as innovative as some of my past life hacks for teachers, like drinking noodles, but here are a couple of things that may make a difference to your use of media in the classroom. First up, if you aren't already riding it, get on the Wakelet wave. Wakelet is a free way to save, organise and share content create collections of web pages, videos, and basically anything with a web address under one topic. Once done, you have a shareable link to your collection. Use it to organize your lesson, flip a lesson, or create revision collections, just to throw a few ideas out there. This next hack is one of my favorites. I love using YouTube to support learning. Not only can it help keep pace in a lesson, but also it's a great reference afterwards for pupils to refer to. My biggest gripe with it though, is that pesky advert you can't skip that always decides to play when you're in full flow. Here's a secret that works nearly all of the time. When preparing your lesson, you will have watched the clip anyway to ensure it's appropriate. So just before you copy the link into your presentation or wakelet, type this on the end, and t equals one. That's the ampersand or the wiggly and, lowercase t equals and the number one. Now copy the URL with and t equals one on the end and your clip will start one second in. Not missing any content, but skipping the adverts at the start. No need to thank me, show your gratitude with a follow on Twitter. Check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. And that was two. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome back to the Monday Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, live in Dubai. Um, joining me is Brian Horwell, secondary head at Safa British School and my boss. So hi, Brian. Hi, Rebecca. Good evening. How are you? Thank you so much for joining not at all. I'm just delighted it's worked first time without any technical problems so far. I was going to say, let's say so far, it's still quite early. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> um, okay, we're going to jump straight in then. Um, can you please introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your career to date? 
Uh, yeah, so for me, it's actually quite interesting because it, it obviously opportunity to stop, pause and reflect, as it were, when you kind of invited me to, on for this evening. And uh, I was going back and I started in 02. So actually this September is that 20-year milestone where I'll be starting the 20th year of uh, my educational career. So actually, it's um, it's been quite a nice process just thinking back. So just to give a little bit of the, the headlines, as it were is my first school, I completed my degree down in uh, Plymouth, so I did Geography of ICT, and then I actually wanted to stay down in the southwest. So I, I moved from Plymouth University to the College of St. Mark and St. John's, which is just outside of Exeter, or links Exeter University, but actually just outside of Plymouth. And then it was uh, I was really lucky, I had my first interview at a, a school called Medina High School, which is on the Isle of Wight. Obviously, hugely nervous, hugely excited in terms of the interview. And I was lucky enough to get offered the job. Uh, and I actually was there for 12 years. So actually, my first, uh, my first school was a long shift. And I was really lucky in, in terms of my time there. It was when the, the island itself, it was going through a huge amount of educational reform um, in terms of changing from the middle school system uh, to the uh, more traditional secondary school system. Um, and because of that, Actually, I was really fortunate in, in terms of opportunities that were provided for me. So in terms of I started as a geography teacher, thrown into the deep end completely in year one. So I actually was teaching then from even from year 12 all the, all the way down uh, to year nine at that moment in time with a really strong department. You know, I can remember now my first head in terms of Steve and the team of Helen, Nigel, Roger and Mark. Just fabulous teachers and just so giving of their time um, at and I just had an absolute blast in the first few years. Uh, and then I got some promotions, some opportunities. And after about my fourth or fifth year there, I actually got promoted up to head of department. Did that for a couple of years and then went into teaching and learning um, as an assistant head. And that for me was the, the game changer, actually. The, uh, I think the, the role of supporting teaching and learning in the school is just a fabulous role. You know, the opportunity to work across all the different departments to, to work with really skilled practitioners and then also to support colleagues kind of joining the career, uh, joining education. It was a period of my educational career that was eye-opening. I, I learned so much during that time, whilst at the same time trying to give back uh, some of the knowledge and some of the skills and setting up structures to support teaching and learning. Um, and again, I was very fortunate in 2012, I then got promoted up to deputy head uh, at the school and, uh, and then in 2014 myself and the wife uh, we had our, our two kids at that point so Tobes and Lex uh, we decided that we were looking for a change and if anybody does know the Isle of Wight it's quite a small locality uh, it's only 140,000 people there there's kind of like five schools we knew we weren't going to be able to to move from our schools on the island to a different school on the Isle of Wight so we thought well if we're, if we're having to leave the island and pack up we may as well pack up and travel a significant dis distance as it were so we started looking abroad um, and then actually a, a colleague of mine actually a, one of our school Im improvement partners a lady called Caroline she actually uh, passed over the, the test advert for uh, DBS and uh, I put the application in and that was eight years ago and uh, I was there at DBS for six years started as deputy head I uh, did one year there as deputy head and promoted up into headship at the end or midway through the second year. Um, 
and did six years in total and then moved to Safra two years ago in, in terms of joining the team there as they grew from that primary school experience into the through school into the secondary as well. So it has been an eventful 20 years. It's been a very busy 20 years with lots of different opportunities doing lots of different things. Um, but underpinned, I like to think that first and foremost, I am a uh, a practitioner, a leader who does believe that teaching needs to be the centre of everything we do, and, and the, you know, the, the the benefit, if you like, or the the privilege of being on that leadership team is still everything centred upon. Actually, everybody's in the classroom first and foremost, and just that delivery, just that practice, underpins everything we do. Thank you so much. Um... I would just like jotting down notes, that's going to be my thing. I always say this to people, I'm like nodding away, smiling away, nobody has any idea. Uh, <laughs> but I am just sat here making notes as we go. Now you've kind of covered it a little bit, obviously you were saying your experience being on the Isle of Wight and the fact that really if you're going to move schools you're going to have to leave the island. Um, but I do always like to ask people who are teaching internationally what made you make that specific leap and it is a big leap and why Dubai specifically like when you saw the advert for um, Dubai British School what made you think that Dubai could be the place for you? It's uh, my family are actually quite an international family so it's uh, the my, my auntie is based in South Africa auntie and uncle there with my cousins are over there uh, my father's actually background is navy uh, and actually was ship based so um, all through childhood type thing he was on different postings in, in terms of at sea uh, and actually um, he was based in Dubai and, and then Qatar when we were looking to move. So the Middle East was kind of like we felt was quite a, a soft landing, as it were, in terms of there was a family support system in the locality. Um, we hadn't chosen uh, a country or city, as it were, to aim for. What we really wanted was we wanted a, um, the right job. And so one of the things when we were looking for, for roles is very much uh, looking for an opportunity um, that was going to my skill set was going to benefit uh, and to an, into an environment to obviously take the kids as well uh, because at the time the children were I think Toes was five Lex was um, three so you know a very young family move so we wanted the security and the stability for them as well so you know when we were looking to move that was our, our biggest concern was actually uprooting the, the, the children and actually how they would settle in into the international world as it were um, and then, like I said, we actually we were looking just in terms of schools. And at the time, there was a couple of jobs that came up. And one uh, job we looked at was at Gerardung International School. And if any colleagues or anybody online works there or has ever worked there or the opportunity to go and see it, that is a fabulous school. It's a, a brilliant location in, in terms of Borneo, as it were. Brilliant school, really. Um, and actually, I went back. I applied there afterwards, actually, uh, later a couple of years ago. Um, but then, like I say, it was the opportunity DBS was, was kind of spotlighted for me. And it was one of these ones where I kind of went over. It was new for me because I thought the process was going to be online. Um, and then I received in the, an email with the flight tickets and all the flight details. And obviously, I hadn't really taken that into account. So to my great shame, it's uh, as I was kind of trying to get things sorted, I, I realized my passport was actually out of date. Uh, so it did kind of require... Uh, a, a rush to, to Cardiff um, to get uh, my passport renewed uh, very quickly. And when I went to the school in terms of the, it was a two-day process, and the first day was absolutely full on. It was uh, really busy in terms of panels and this type of thing. Um, and it's what I kind of say to our prospective parents when they kind of walk around our school. It's, it's not so much the paperwork, it's not the website, it's not these things. 
is the feel of the school. And I know that, you know, when I, when I spent that time in that school with the middle leadership team, the senior team and the, 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 the students there, um, I can remember phoning Lynn at the end of day one. And I'd been a bit nonchalant in terms of the uh, the interview process. I always think it's best to kind of, you know, just be a little bit considered and, and reserved, as it were. And you're picking the school just as much as they're picking you. I can remember telling her that I'd be really disappointed if I didn't get it. Yeah, I really felt it was going to be a, a school for me that I was going to fit into and that I could do a job there. And also I could see the kids being really happy there. So um, I went there with, with probably quite low uh, expectations of what it was going to be like and without a huge amount of knowledge and then again kind of like within six or seven hours of being in the building I thought yeah do you know what this is for me and so you spent eight years there at Dubai well, six Rich years six, six years, years there. Sorry, and it's eight yeah. in Dubai in total yeah. so what made you make the move to Safford British School it was the I kind of I'd done the, the the four years in terms of the headship journey there. We'd gone from a good to a very good to an outstanding school. Um, it got to the points where uh, we we're kind of growing leadership teams that were moving on really quickly all the time because obviously just very, very talented uh, middle leadership team there. And we were kind of, um, uh, they were growing themselves as much as we were growing them. And we every year kind of felt like a little bit of a restart with new assistant heads kind of coming through and deputies kind of coming through. I got to a bit of a stage where in terms of where I felt the school was, that I kind of reviewed the action plan, as it were, that I put in place like three or four years ago with myself and John, who was a deputy at the time. And we'd, we'd really sat down and, and given some milestones for what we wanted to achieve. I don't mean inspection frameworks or anything like that. I really mean about the culture that we're trying to instill and the some of the, the processes and behaviours we wanted to do. Um, and it got to this point um, where after my, my sixth year, there was a lot of change going on in the school. So the, the principal at the time, who was my head, who promoted me up, he was moving on. Um, so there's a bit of instability there. Um, there was movement, like I say, in the SLT. I kind of looked around and I realised um, that I can become uh, comfortable and that's possibly the wrong term, actually. But, you know, when I tell people I, I did, you know, 12 years in my first school, people always kind of shake their head a little bit. You should never do 12 years in your first school. I, I don't regret those 12 years at all because I, I really think they, they helped hone my craft and they, the experiences I had uh, were irreplaceable. I don't think I would have got if I'd moved somewhere else. But I recognise that maybe I was on that pathway of doing another 12 years in the school. And I felt a little bit of hunger, actually, that I was, um, I was looking at something a little bit different so when I knew uh, that I think my time was up um, in terms of that current role I started to look around uh, at opportunities and then I started to look in terms of uh, IB schools I started to look at dual language schools I started to look um, in terms of doing something slightly different to really test my um, leadership abilities my uh, you know put myself into a bit of a different context where I might not be as comfortable or as familiar uh, just to kind of you know, give myself that challenge, see if I could rise to that challenge. Um, and then it was it, it kind of the, the worlds aligned, as it were. And then I re received a phone call from Samir, who, who's one of the, the ownership team, one of the governance team in terms of Sappers. Um, and I had a really good conversation there. And that led to uh, meeting the leadership team um, and, and spending some time with Zara and discussing in terms of, you know, the opportunity in terms of this 
taking on trying to uh, the secondary school, but in a really interesting context in terms of not being a new school, but being an extension of a very established primary school in terms of what that brings with the ethos and the culture that's already in place, but how that changes and how that grows into the secondary. And it was kind of a, a bit of a light bulb, actually, from the very first conversation um, and going to the school. And at the time, it's at the old site and going to the new school, which was actually under construction uh, at the time. There was just a real sense of excitement for me um, in terms of this as a role, in terms of a startup school, a startup opportunity, in terms of that uh, constructing curriculum, in terms of the staffing, in terms of actually... Uh, as daft as it may sound, in terms of policies, in terms of the, the, the frameworks that, that we were going to work towards and around and within in terms of the secondary school. And just, it, it really um, it really piqued my appetite. It, it very much, it, from the very beginning, then I, I kind of put the IBs to one side, I put the dual language to one side, and, and then focused very much um, in, in terms of the SAFAs. And again, the process there was actually... Uh, meeting different people and very much about kind of uh, ensuring the values of the leadership of the team the same. And it's one of the things I like best about my, my current role is my, myself, Louise and Zara, in terms of the principal and the head of primary, head of secondary. We, we all operate in very different ways, but actually underneath all the values in terms of what we're trying to instill, we're all very comfortable in terms of each other's professional company, as it were, in terms of what we do, how we do it. Um, so, and it's been, I know there's certain... Uh, colleagues who, who really enjoy the startup and they become startup specialists. Um, I think I look back over the last two years and possibly because of uh, COVID and these type of things, I, I never thought it would be as challenging as what it has been or as rewarding. Um, but yeah, it's, again, it's been absolute, it's been great fun in, in terms of the, the last two years. Um, for everybody that is listening, and I'm about to use Brian's favourite word, opportunity. Um, Brian always likes to tell us we've got opportunities when it's a job that maybe we don't want to do. But without sounding really cheesy, we are really lucky, aren't we, to be in this situation where we've got such an opportunity to be so creative and build it. I think so. I think the and one of the things that you know I, I've learned in terms of my leadership journey, um, and again, when you kind of look back and you kind of look back in terms of I first got promoted up to assistant head type thing and I, I probably do need to write a couple of emails to the uh, the deputies who are Gronio who's looking after me at the time because I was you know some real rough edges in terms of um, things of believing with vision and driving things through and you know and uh, probably not taking the staff with me as much as what I probably should have done is it, one of the things I really love about the the journey we're currently on is the fact it is a really collaborative journey um, you know, my, my own viewpoint is the fact that change happens best at department level. And, and what my focus has been over the last 18 months has, has been just recruiting uh, the, the best quality staff we can do and, the, you know, the best uh, the, the, the value sets that are going to link with us as a school and then see where we go to. And what I love about it is the fact that the departments do have this autonomy in terms of what they are building and what they are shaping in terms of curriculum uh, models and what their expectations are in, in their zones of the corridor. And yet, when we all come together in terms of the, you know, the, the assemblies, the auditoriums, the staff, actually, it's still the SAFA way, but it's just done very differently. 
uh, you know, between the different areas. And I think that's a lot. Again, we've mentioned my buzzwords. Yeah, absolutely. Opportunity. People dislike that when they see that in the email title. But we do say a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, but the one that, again, I, I think is the most important one to celebrate is the consistent inconsistency. And that the fact that, you know, there isn't a one way of doing anything, actually. And we really need to be acknowledging and celebrating different people's skills and strengths and giving them the, the freedom, the flexibility and the, the support to uh, to implement things that, that's going to benefit the kids. No, I completely agree. And it was one of the things I think for me coming and looking around the school and like speaking to yourself and speaking to Zara, where it was, I've never had that autonomy before as a head of department. I've never been able to just be told to go with it and like see what, you know, if you trust it, you know it's going to work, then go with it. And that is amazing for a member of staff to be given and I think it's it is again I'm going to use the word opportunity but it is an amazing opportunity that have been presented to people and like you say when we all come together it really is the staff away and I think for me one of the things about the school and I said this when we had Zara the principal on was the fact that looking for a school in Dubai that was going to keep that family feel that I loved working in the UK my previous school in Dubai but I think you can worry sometimes or just get lost in the idea of international schools can come across as being a bit soulless. But I would say that Safa is definitely the opposite of that. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you completely. I think the, you know, we, we, we say we're a community school and the, uh, and the, the, what that actually means, it's just a very caring school, isn't it? It's, you know, and the size when we get to maturation as well, does mean the fact that we can know every child on site. So you, you can know uh, your families and it is an open, well, we're trying to get to that point of being an open door. It's fantastic last week in terms of the, um, on Friday, uh, to have the year six transition parents actually on site for the first time in two years, having uh, around about, I think it was 160 we had in total, um, parents actually on to, to be presented to by the kids, you know, which is the strength of the school, absolutely. Because again, what they benefit from being there um, no, oh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think it's it's difficult to um, to, to verbalise completely, but it, I think it also comes with some acceptance as well. That I just, I personally don't think I'd be built for a, a two thousand, three thousand student school. It's. Uh, I'm not saying it's soulless. I'm just saying it's different. It's. And I obviously got colleagues who work in those type of schools, and they they tell me it's a fabulous experience of what it actually is. I think I know what I really enjoy. I think I'm very comfortable in terms of being um, or, or recognizing that niche of what I really thrive on in, in terms of work, walking down the corridor and knowing every member of staff quite well and actually knowing all the kids and knowing the brothers and sisters and knowing the interests and knowing how they're getting on. Um, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think the, the environment in the school is very caring, it's very giving. Um, I'm just going to ask you one more question about, um, we've already kind of moved on, but I am going to just take us back just very quickly, because like I said, do like to just, when we've got somebody who is international based, um, and then we're going to move on a little bit more and focus in on leadership. But my last question, just kind of going back to thinking about working overseas, um, for you, in your opinion, what are the peaks and the pitfalls, please, of if you are going to be choosing a job abroad? Uh, I mean, the peaks are, first and foremost, the, the work-life balance that's actually afforded to, to us working internationally. It's, it's just very different. 
um, the the opportunities give that word that opportunity the opportunities <laughs> in terms of for for my children for the children at school for for us um, in terms of travel it, you know I'm a geography teacher I, I get itchy feet one of the things when we moved uh, was a commitment that myself and Lynn made that we wanted the, the, the kids to have better passports than we ever had now obviously that has been affected slightly in terms of the last couple of years but actually we can look up to that point in terms of the, the backpacking that we've done with them through Thailand and Vietnam it's that it it has added something to us in terms of our family life that I don't believe we would have had if we'd, we'd stayed in the UK so even ignoring the professional aspect side of it and the professional benefits that have been here absolutely um, I think from a, a work-life balance thing and actually from a family point of view, uh, you know, this was a three-year plan when, when we came. And, and like most people, it's uh, turned into an eight. Uh, and now with the, the two cats and the two dogs, I'm not sure it's just going to be 10. It could be even longer. But, you know, you, you, we just don't know. But what we, what we are is we're very grateful. We think that Dubai has actually been very kind to us. Um, and, you know, we, we don't try and plan too far ahead because we just don't know. Nobody actually knows. What we do is we just recognise the present and, and we're very thankful for, you know, the, the present we've actually had. Um, in terms of the, the other benefits that for me, I've got to say one of the, the huge um, changes in terms of my pedagogy, in terms of actually my thinking, uh, is actually been the opportunity in terms of working with other, other colleagues in other curriculums. So one of the I've really enjoyed is getting across into the IB curriculum in terms of learner profiles and looking at the theory of knowledge and, and things that you know aren't um, as explicit or as embedded into the British curriculum model compared to actually what is in the IB model. Um, and then it is a very different style of learning. It's a very different style of planning. It's a very different style of, of curriculum development and also even the starters may sound timetabling, staffing structures, this type of thing. So actually that, that exposure to different methods has been really interesting for me um you know education isn't just education the, the the nuance changes depending on the context and how the schools have to operate um the other thing i think the that one of the peaks here is i do think international education really does attract some, some real high quality practitioners it's uh and i'm not saying the uk doesn't there's fabulous practitioners back in the uk you know if i had to name uh, the top five I've ever worked with, it would be a mix between the two, absolutely. Um, but over the last eight years, I've really worked with some superstars here. Um, and both in terms of leadership positions, I feel I've really um, learned from those. You know, when you have these international schools that are referred to, you know, in the top three internationals, and you kind of meet the principles from there, you, you get a sense of why, you know, in terms of what they do and how they do it. Um, but also just in terms of classroom practitioners as well. And then it's a, it's a bit of a narrow lens, I'm afraid, in terms of a bit of a geography one, but actually just the diversity of your students in the classroom is the kids just become teaching resources for you. Um, you know, if you are doing pretty much any topic, because the, you've got such a range of, of home country, you've got such a range of their own knowledge base you can bring in to the learning of the lessons just to make it come alive. Um, it's just a, that's a fabulous resource it, it really is um, whereas actually you know one of the, the criticisms um, I, I had where in terms of my first school is I really felt because we were on an island um, with one of the most expensive transport networks to get off the island 
is it really limited students' exposure to a wider environment? So not even talking as the globalised nature of our students are, but even just in terms of city life. You know, it was a, a very small locality with a town-based system, and some of students didn't get off with enough regularity to see different ways of life. And it was very limiting in terms of aspiration, um, which you don't have here. The, the, the pitfalls, the, the challenge is I think we've all felt this, and I'm afraid I probably I'm repeating in terms of what your previous uh, guests have said. It's, it's really been driven home. The, whilst it's only seven hours, it is seven hours, and the limits in terms of transport and flights uh, over the last 18 months has been um, painful. You know, There's no other word for it in terms of the, the, the kids haven't seen grandparents, haven't seen cousins, um, unfortunately, you know, just the nature of life, as it were, that, that we've missed uh, weddings and funerals. It, it's And that does come with some guilt that we're having this lovely experience over here and, and the way that COVID and everything has been handled over here has had a huge impact on our quality of life. I feel we've actually, you know, as a community, as a locality, we dealt with it the, the very best we could do. And you're looking back... Um, and yeah, I do feel a bit of a sense that maybe we could have helped out if we'd moved back and those type of things. But again, if I'd ever told my mother that, she would have launched me. So again, it wouldn't have happened as it were. But yeah, I think the it's just the connections. You do miss some things in terms of family being international. But when they come over, and uh, you know, which is starting to happen now, the travel's opening up. After my father arrives in a couple of weeks' time, it's uh, the, you know what you then get to do with people in the locality as well, and all the all the things that are here to do, it does compensate for it. No, I completely agree. And um, I think some of the things you were actually saying about the peaks there in terms of thinking about the students and thinking about, like you say, the diversity and the multiculturalism. Um, I was teaching and I'm from a very, very small place in North Yorkshire. And it was a very similar situation, you know, limited aspirations. Um, they didn't need to get off an island, but sometimes you thought that they did getting off the farm but coming here and actually having to teach and getting getting to teach global citizens as I refer to the kids quite often I just think it's marvelous and it it has I think reinvigorated my teaching actually I think it throws up new challenges all the time but it also makes things really really exciting um so yeah and I always recommend it I always recommend anybody that's thinking about international teaching that they should if they've got an idea or they've got a bit of a glimmer they should just jump in with both feet because like you say everyone starts out I was only doing two years and we're four years in and I'm nowhere near done so <laughs> it's a case of you know you, you just try it don't you and see what happens um anyway what we're going to do now is I am going to I'm just looking at the time because time is flying very very quickly i'm going to go back i've got to play the news and the ads and the two minute tech once more and then when i come back with brian we are going to move on away from teaching internationally and actually start talking a little bit about leadership so we will be back with you in about five or six minutes just after this This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. 
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalized education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves that's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care we need people like you to help us achieve even more with us you'll be given all the resources and support you need offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a leaked document, senior officials at the Department of Education in England have warned that schools are in such a state of disrepair that they are a risk to life. Those officials who work for the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, have warned that the current pace of 50 school rebuilding projects per year needs to be raised to more than 300. A spokesperson for the Department of Education told the Mail Online, the safety of pupils and staff is paramount. We have one of the largest and most comprehensive estate condition data collection in Europe, and this allows us to assess and manage risk in our buildings. We prioritise buildings where there is a risk to health and safety and have invested £11.3 billion since 2015 to improve the condition of school buildings over the next decade. In addition, our new school rebuilding programme will transform the learning environment at 500 schools over the next decade.
following a statement from the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University, which recently told private schools that they will need to accept that they will admit fewer students to Oxbridge in the future. Education Secretary Nadim Sahawi has responded by saying that admissions should be based on merit and evidence. He said, I think it should be based on merit and evidence. The thing to do is deliver great outcomes for all children, wherever they live, and especially our most disadvantaged children, which is why I am flexing the system towards those areas that have fewer great schools or good outstanding schools. You don't create a system that people feel is fair and equitable by in some way thinking that there is an easy fix. The best thing you can do is create schools in the state system that are as good as independent schools, which we are. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to talk about a couple of shortcuts and hacks that can make life a little easier. This may not be as innovative as some of my past life hacks for teachers, like drinking noodles, but here are a couple of things that may make a difference to your use of media in the classroom. First up, if you aren't already riding it, get on the Wakelet Wave. Wakelet is a free way to save, organise and share content create collections of web pages, videos, and basically anything with a web address under one topic. Once done, you have a shareable link to your collection. Use it to organize your lesson, flip a lesson, or create revision collections, just to throw a few ideas out there. This next hack is one of my favorites. I love using YouTube to support learning. Not only can it help keep pace in a lesson, but also it's a great reference afterwards for pupils to refer to. My biggest gripe with it though, is that pesky advert you can't skip that always decides to play when you're in full flow. Here's a secret that works nearly all of the time. When preparing your lesson, you will have watched the clip anyway to ensure it's appropriate. So just before you copy the link into your presentation or wakelet, type this on the end, and t equals one. That's the ampersand or the wiggly and, lowercase t equals and the number one. Now copy the URL with and t equals one on the end and your clip will start one second in. Not missing any content, but skipping the adverts at the start. No need to thank me. Show your gratitude with a follow on Twitter. Check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show, my last ever Monday Drive Home Show uh, with me, Rebecca Ricketts, and I am joined by the head of secondary school at Saffa British School in Dubai, Brian Harwell. So Brian, thank you again so much for joining me. Um, we're going to kick straight off again, just because I'm very conscious of time and I do have a lot of questions for you. Um, so for anybody just tuning into the show, Brian has discussed um, his route into leadership and was deputy head in the Isle of Wight, became head teacher, deputy head, then a head teacher, and is currently a head teacher in a new school in Dubai now. So my question, Brian, as we move into talking about leadership, um, what drove you to want to be a head teacher? And in particular, you kind of covered the role you have now, but what made you want to go all the way up to being a head of a school? Um, I don't think I actually, when I first started in terms of the leadership journey, I don't think I had that as a destination in mind. 
Um, well, I think for me, the, the bit that I really enjoyed the, the head of geography role, I really enjoyed the, um, the department uh, leadership and actually just, just try to overlap just slightly because I have just seen there is a, a question um, in the, the chat about actually yes, how sure you, yeah, ensure autonomy but ensure that they still perform with the strategic direction of the school. I mean, I can remember when I was the, the head of geography and we made great improvements as a team in terms of the uh, geography results set in a, in a challenging school. And I think it was around about, we put 20% on in terms of the, the A to C. Um, now, we did that as a team in terms of the geography team. We, we didn't do it because actually what the SLT were doing or whatever, because we were the, the subject specialists. So I think one of the things for, for me in terms of the, the leadership um, aspects it is kind of recognizing straight away that actually, you know, yep, sometimes in terms of leadership, it is about leading from the front and it is about, you know, when, when if the situation requires it, that you have to make some very quick decisions and force things through. But actually the vast majority of the time, it, it, it should, well, for me personally, and obviously there's a variety, there's loads of different ways of doing things, of course there are. But for me, it, it is this bit about servant leadership again i go back to that time where we made that improvement in terms of the, the geography team on the isle of wight it's because we were trusted and allowed to make the changes we want to put into place um we were supported we were we were asked questions we were held accountable for it you know autonomy doesn't mean just being left alone autonomy means actually the specialist being in a position to make the decisions within that subject area because they're best placed to make those decisions. You know, Re Rebecca is a very skilled English teacher. I'm not. So I actually line manage Rebecca's our meetings. Um, you know, it's, I'm asking about what the operations look like in, in terms of the, the department, how it is linking to the strategic plan. But again, that strategic plan, uh, and sometimes I think we get a little bit too caught up between strategy and operations, but the strategic outcome is actually... Uh, support and progress for all students. And then when you break that down to what that looks like within the English classroom, the reality is that Rebecca and her team are, are better placed to tell me what that should look like than me dictating it to them. You know, the question then comes from, okay, then what does that look like in terms of, again, those milestones, those health checkpoints? What's it going to look like in terms of in three weeks, in six weeks, in 12 weeks? What resources do you actually need? Okay, this will stop and pause here. And the, the meetings we have are very much... Uh, challenge and support um, is this actually having the impact we thought it was going to have if it's not where do we redirect that so uh, I think the for me the autonomy doesn't mean just leaving people alone and that's not what this actually is at all I would say that myself and Rebecca meet weekly but unfortunately our uh, meeting slot has been on a Friday and we've had a couple of clashes recently where that hasn't occurred but that is the plan um, so I hope that answers that a little bit in terms of the, um, like, again, for myself, in terms of the head teacher, it is, I, I really enjoyed uh, the head of geography. And then actually, like I say, the, the teaching and learning role, the that assistant head role, um, I think that's probably my, my favorite period of time, as it were, just in terms of my own personal professional learning of actually being able to go out and influence the, the, the practices of others, supporting others and, and freeing up resources to invest in other uh, members of staff as well, and also starting to shape 
um, the, the student uh, experience and, and the student provision. And then actually what I kind of learnt, which I wasn't aware of at the time at all, is those things that started to go on in the background. Um, so when I was invited to the SLT meetings, again, being brought in for uh, discussions um, and my inputs in terms of things that weren't exactly on the job spec, as it were, in terms of assistant heads teaching and learning, but actually were requirements in terms of the running of the school, in terms of budget in terms of resourcing in terms of promotions in terms of uh, basically everything in terms of health and safety in terms of the, the safeguarding um, being more exposed in terms of actually the child protection uh, structures and support that again I wasn't as aware of in terms of from my classroom teacher role um, and from there I suppose I thrived on that 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 challenge and that responsibility and that opportunity to influence a, a larger sphere um, and then uh, I think in terms of uh, probably it, it just happened, again, very fortunately, it happened quite organically for me. I wasn't chasing uh, headship, as it were. I think I was very lucky. I was in the right situation at the right time um, in terms of both at Medina, but also then both at DBS. And it's paid off for me. Um, and again, I feel very lucky in terms of the support uh, and the opportunities I've had in, in terms of those school environments and in terms of where it's kind of got me to now. Um, and I, I, I love the job. It's, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a juggle in, in terms of the day-to-day -day, uh, of what you have to do, and it, it, you have to be able to change hats very quickly um, from going from one meeting to another, uh, depending in, in terms of what the context of those meetings actually are, um, and, again, whilst trying to maintain your workload, but also a sensible work-life balance for yourself as well, because... You know, you have to look after yourself. You know, you, you can't keep giving and you can't do a good job if you're empty yourself. You know, you have to um, be sustainable in terms of the your, your professional life. Um, but it is, it's a fabulous opportunity in terms of to be, again, I, I use the word again because I, I do believe it's what it should be. Uh, again, for me, it, it is that servant leadership approach. It is removing obstacles for the, the classroom teachers to, to give the kids the best experiences they should have. Um, you mentioned earlier that teaching is at the heart of everything that we do and you know that is something that we've had a lot of conversations about in school and it was one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on the show today because you know you are a head teacher that is still in the classroom is that always going to be I know that's quite a very broad question you can't have a crystal ball but would that be something you would always aim for in the future being able to still have a hand in and do some classroom teaching yeah absolutely I think it's really important um, again it's, obviously, this is my personal view, um, and there's certainly head teachers who, who will run very different schools to how I like to work with mine, um, and they're very successful. But I do, for me, I think credibility is really important, and I think actually the, the role of a head teacher is to be a head teacher, you know, in, in terms of to be an effective practitioner. Um, one of the things I've always um, not insisted because actually you can't insist it has to be the, the right thing for the, for the kids uh, but I've always requested to have GCSE or A-level groups um, again because then I'm having to live with the, some of the decisions and directions that we're making as a school uh, and you know how feasible are they because sometimes you can have ideas that sound great in the boardroom and then actually in terms of the, uh, the practical application in the classroom they really aren't 
you know, so you, you want to be able to see that. And you also want the, the children to see, you want the, the, adult, um, the, the kids to see. So obviously, we've only got to year nine at the moment. Uh, I will be taking a year 10 group, uh, GCSE group next year. Um, the last year for me at DBS, I actually had a, an A-level and year 11 group actually finished uh, as well. Um, and for, again, they are the best hours of the week for me. So again, no matter how the week is actually going, I find being in the classroom quite an energizing activity uh, where you kind of just, it's a very, it's a leveler for me in terms of this is why you do the job. This is what it is all about. So I don't see uh, a time where I won't be in the classroom um, in the foreseeable future. It's there, there is again acknowledgement though that in terms of actually leadership, the, the further you go up the ladder, you, you there has to be some distance uh, in terms of what's right because what can't happen is the fact I have a timetable. And if the nature of systems change and meetings change, I end up that having to get covered, and, and that's not fair on the, the students. So at that point, you know, if that was that I'd have to change, I'd have to really consider that. But at the moment, that isn't happening. Um, and I, I really enjoy uh, the, the time I get to spend teaching uh, and, you know, probably disrupting the students learning too much because yeah, I like doing that as well in terms of just that, those relationships. Um, but, yeah, it's something that's actually very important for me. Um, so other than your time in the classroom every week, what is the best part of your job? Um, there's so many. I, I did kind of I knew this was going to come up, and I've been trying to think about it. I mean, the, the 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 one for me, the best part of the job, is I always try um, at the beginning of probably for year nine, is I try to pick a couple of uh, students in terms of a, a track in terms of result sets. I don't mean straight nines. Because that, that's not what this is about, you know. It's I think some students, and actually, do you know what? It, it is some students get straight nines where they've really worked very hard and they've added that progress, and, and that is a huge celebration, absolutely. But I think the ones where the, the real success stories—they're—they're they're the ones uh, I smile about now. You know, I, I could reel off you the name of uh, the kids that I'm just most proud that we as a team in terms of the school. Um, support those children through and, and, and where they got to um, and I, you know actually I was speaking to speaking to John last week and there's a, a young man called Cameron uh, who's just about to enter his third year uh, university doing um, I think it's radio technician or something like that I'm afraid I don't know the exact name of the course and he was our firework and that's how we used to refer to it you know he was our firework in terms of year 11 he had the the, the best result he had the results that we were most proud of um, and I love that. Uh, I really love the results days. I love the fact that actually, in most cases, the GCSE and the A-level process is is a fairly honest mirror. Um, and, and that, you know, the students who really put the hard yards in do get uh, the, the outcomes they deserve. And behind that is where you've got that the, the, the freedom to do your curriculum design to allow them um, to, to allow those successes that plays to their strengths um, I think that's you know that, that's that's a great moment really when you see actually the decisions you made a couple of years ago uh, that, that as a team they've paid off mm -hmm. 
I think that's a really nice answer. I mean, we're away away, aren't we? I know we're thinking about it already in our school, but we are away away for that results day, but it's going to come flying round, I think. <laughs> well, it is, and we're already having to look at some curriculum design and some bespoke uh, offerings already at this moment in time. I know yourself in terms of English, in terms of looking at the uh, the different levels, even in, in, in terms of entries, as it were, in, in, for year 11, and also what the classrooms actually look like. And we've been looking in terms of the, the timetable design to make sure the resources and the the staffing's in the right place. We've been looking at the zoning of the room. It, there, there is a lot that goes into it. Um, but then it also comes down to the most important thing is the, those classroom relationships, isn't it? It's the, the experience the kids have the day-to-day. -day. 100% couldn't agree more, classroom relationships. And, yeah, like you say, the experience of the kids. When Zara, the school principal, for people who are listening, was on, she said exactly the same. The children have to be at the heart of everything that we do. And I think when people forget that, that's when it really starts to go a bit awry to be honest yep <laughs> there's, there's no there's no real argument is there it's, not really uh, no yeah um so looking at this on the flip side then um what are the parts of your role that you actually find most challenging um it's an interesting question i'm gonna clarify if it's okay because the, the, again there is, there's some things that, you know, in terms of in education, when you are talking in terms of safeguarding child protection, they are, uh, they're very challenging situations to end up in. And that's when you're using external agencies, et cetera, to kind of manage. And I think we have to accept that that comes part and parcel of it. Um, but I don't really want to uh, focus upon those things because, again, they are rare events, as it were. Um for me, the, the most challenging and, and the most frustrating, uh, I find, is I've got an absolute passion for internal succession. I really do believe in terms of growing our own and supporting our own staff. And, I, you know, every teacher, when they join a year, I really want them to be leaving the end of the year a better teacher than when they started. And I do think that, you know, we are what we should be doing as an SLT and a middle leadership team is always actually providing those opportunities for staff members to be increasing their skill sets. Um, so when there is opportunity, they're able to step in. And it's not so much about rewarding loyalty. I don't mean it's not about that, but it's about growing a culture within the school where staff want to grow and know that they are going to be supported in their growth and know that they are valued and that they are part of the landscape. Uh, for us as a school as we go through um, but you can get times where you know that actually that next level up is established and is unlikely to be moving anytime soon and you you know you've got a very skilled uh, giving example you, you know you've got a settled SLT who may just be new into post and you know they're going to be in that position for two to three years or you know that's your that's your longitudinal plan that's what you're hoping for because of actually your, your own um uh, planning that you've got in place uh, and then you've got the leadership team that, that they're there and they're ready for that next step but you can't furnish that that for them uh, I can find that frustrating and challenging because actually then that conversation becomes and it's really important to do but the conversation needs to become what's the best thing for that member of staff which may not always be the what's the best thing for you as a school as it were because you are you're having that conversation of saying, look, you know, for your own career development and actually for the impact you could have elsewhere is you may need to be looking at alternative schools or somewhere else that is going to be able to support you because you are ready for this next step of your growth. Unfortunately, that's not here with us. Um, but again, the same way, I don't view education as just actually school-based. 
I do think that there's such an importance in terms of networking. Um, and one of the things about international schools that sometimes I think we can get wrong is we think it's a competitive landscape. And actually, it's not a competitive landscape. What it should be is a collaborative landscape because we're all here with the same uh, values and intents at the, the, the top, the headline, which is we want the very best for our young people. So, you know, you, you're always going to be sharing ideas, resources, experiences with, with colleagues um, within the locality. And the way that the, the schooling works here is, you know, we've all got colleagues who kind of moved around or you've got links to, to previous schools. Um, so you, you want to be, you, the reality is you, you're still going to benefit as a school if somebody does continue their, their journey somewhere else. Um, but it's actually when it happens, it's a lot more difficult to do than what that sounds. Does that make sense? No, that completely makes sense. But I think it is that really difficult thing, isn't it, of, I suppose, letting people go because they need to kind of progress, but at the same time knowing that you are going to be losing somebody who potentially could have continued to add different kinds of value, I suppose, to the students that you've already got in front of you in your school. Yeah, it is. Again, though, you are right. But generally, if things are right for staff, they're actually the right for kids as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, again, I'm really quite clear that the most important people in our building, ignoring the fact that the first thing we do is keep young people safe. You know, that is, we take that for granted. That should be, uh, that's in granites everywhere. That, that's what we do. But actually, you know, for the day to day, the most important people are your staff. You want them challenged. You want them supported. You want them developing because they're the ones who are delivering that to the to the students you know so that they the priority has to be there in terms of that staff development and if you can't offer it you know you do need to have that transparency and that integrity to have that conversation uh, however frustrating it can be and also the thing that you were saying about international schools should be a collaborative landscape i agree i think i actually i think because when you start teaching internationally you know actually getting your hands on CPD and being able to go on courses isn't obviously as accessible as when you are in the UK. I do find that actually the, once you open that dialogue with people, international collaboration is is actually brilliant. I had um, Andy and Tom from Collab UAE on the show a few weeks ago and they were brilliant in terms of the things that they're just trying to do within you know Dubai and now trying to spread it out further to Abu Dhabi and the other Emirates. But I do think that, again, when we go back and we're kind of circling back to international teaching, it isn't as isolating as I think sometimes it can be painted out to be. And you do very quickly make connections, don't you, across a whole range of different schools for a whole range of different reasons. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's really important to do so. I, I know um, I've, I've been really pleased in terms of uh, with Pearson, uh, you know, Adam, um, Jammer, the, the, the regional lead here, I really like the amount of networking that he sets up. And the, yeah, I know we, I reached out to him last week, actually said, look, I need some um, support resources as we're now looking at the plan of the Arabic uh, bead curriculum because we want to look in terms of that to actually be a GCSE offering, um, what's available. And then everything just kind of comes over. And I think that's a, it's a fabulous example Um of, of what it actually is. And I know that, you know, the internally rumors sort things out and, and we actually had training that last week and things. And that's what it's about. You know, it's actually asking for those connections um, because one of the things I find really taxing, I think, in terms of anything in education is repetition. You know, repetition, it, uh, it just, it becomes very attritional when you don't have to do something. If you can actually 
link and find out some of you may have gone through that process before or just more um, recently you know one of the, the challenges obviously we have it for our context is the fact by the time we get into the GCSE we have to accept the fact we are a couple of years out of cycle um, that doesn't mean we're not effective GCSE practitioners what it means is the fact that you do shed skills quite quickly so you need to ensure that you are up to up to date and you do need to, and that's part of our PD plan you know, it's part of the school's strategic plan to ensure everyone is up to date with current practices. And actually, what was probably um, a, a bigger risk a couple of years ago probably hasn't become a, such a bigger risk because of actually the, the teacher assessed grades and the centre assessed grades and obviously that changing in that assessment landscape. Um, but you have, to ex you have to acknowledge that that it's there. And because you acknowledge that it's there, you then close the door on that being a threat and then just ensure that everybody is skilled up. No, I completely agree. And I think on an individual level, you know, you do have that awareness. You make, you know, you, we were very aware when making the choice to come and move across to SAFA that it did mean that, you know, two years, no GCSE. And I actually think I'm probably more engaged with the GCSE curriculum move because as well, I've never taught Pearson at Excel, IGCSE. I think I'm more engaged with the GCSE curriculum, probably to my shame, than I've ever been in my career. And I don't even have a GCSE class right now. But again, the the need to kind of upskill and prepare myself and then be able to answer the questions like you say about you know pathways and things that we can have available to students they're on hand so yeah you can look at it from one way and say it is an issue or people might see it as an issue not teaching GCSE but I think the approach that you have is you know that idea that we are like you say to close the door on it so it, it is actually enabling people to upskill themselves more if they want to engage with that CPD I guess. Yeah, and that's where the recruitment comes in, isn't it? It's the, you know, what you, you've just said there, I would like to think that actually would resonate with, with all teachers in, in our building, but also all teachers as well. It's the, you know, it's not just content delivery. Um, the, the way the, the assessments have changed to be such a high value summative uh, exercise now that, you know, you, you have to be uh, teaching the students about how to access smart schemes and the, uh, the, the method of, navigate an exam paper and you can only do that by engaging with the examiner's reports engaging with last year's processes and looking at live examples as much as you possibly can do i'm just so aware of time i've realized we're like at 8 8 15 in dubai i'm losing track it's 5 15 in the uk so we are and i knew this would happen because i knew that i'd asked you a lot of questions um so moving on very quickly um you've kind of touched on this already but for anybody who is listening and is interested in the leadership route what kind of advice would you give to somebody in that position uh, I think it's a fabulous job. I really do. I think it's massively rewarding to um, to be able to to give back to the community slightly on a larger scale than outside of a maybe a department or outside, you know, just your classroom as it were. But it very much uh, it very much is about giving back as it were. It's one of the, again the, the things I mentioned earlier that for me in terms of that leadership bit. I think when I first started. I thought the importance of, you know, trying to get to destination and dragging people with uh, was the way forward was actually it's so much more impactful um, to, to get that buy in and, and to get that collaboration, that discussion, than, than going en masse into that direction is definitely the way forward. Um, so it, it is just recognizing that you, you do become uh, 
um, a servant to the school and in terms of the frameworks that you're kind of putting into place to support staff to, to get the direction of the school going. Um, I, I've, I've loved it. I've absolutely loved the leadership journey. There's been some very trying uh, times. There's sometimes situations that you don't feel um, ready for it, to some extent because you haven't had the experience of it. Um, and that sometimes you do probably get to the end of the day and hope that you've made uh, more good decisions than bad decisions. Uh, but again, that, that, that's just the nature of it because you are one of the things you have to accept is you're pulled in lots of different directions because actually the further you get up, uh, the more stakeholders there are. And you're never going to satisfy the, the questions or the desires of everybody. And, you know, what that means is it's not trying to find compromise. What it means is actually making the right decision that's right for you at that time for the children uh, and then ensuring that you live with that and, and that you stay with that and you uh, avoid the distractions of other things. And do you think there are big differences between leading in a UK-based school and leading in an, in an international setting? I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so is I think that, you, again, it's that acknowledgement that every school is different. And every, the context is different, the demographic is different, the nuance is different, everything is different. So, you know, I think the a potential pitfall in terms of leadership is, is you, you may be recruited. Um, and when I moved across from Safa, I was really, uh, to Safa, I was really conscious in terms of coming from, you know, it's a school that's been labelled as outstanding, that people would think that I was just going to bring everything across that was done previously because it got labelled as outstanding. Well, that worked for that school at that time with those young people. You know, it's not going to work uh, in a different context. And I think the, the context changes and you have to then adapt your, your style and you have to adapt your plans. You have to uh, adapt your, your vision um, and how you're going to get there. Um, and I don't think that matters whether you're in a UK school or an international school or or anything else. I mean, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be huge successes. Absolutely. Um, it's just no matter where you are, you, you have to have an agility to ensure what you're doing is right for your cohort of students. I think that's a really good answer. And I think it's also really good for people who are listening who might be thinking, because you see a lot online, you see a lot of people asking the questions, you know, I'm thinking about the move abroad what are the leadership kind of opportunities and I think it's really nice for people to know that those opportunities are very much there but obviously again yes like you say context is context wherever you go um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an, in an international setting or just you know moving from one local authority or even from one different school in one town to the next and I think that that could actually provide quite a lot of comfort for people who are maybe listening back to this and thinking okay yeah because I do really try and encourage on this show for people, like I said already, you know, if they are thinking about that international journey to really go for it at whatever level, I suppose, of their career that they are at. Now, going to move this on a little further. And the next few questions, I always like to ask my guests. I'm always really interested. I think it's always nice to kind of track ourselves back on our own kind of school journey. Um, so my next question for you is more relating to your own school days. And who was your favorite teacher? Who stood out to you like even now? And why was that? Um, I, I had, I got to be honest, I had fabulous teachers. I really did in, in terms of when I, I look back, um, and there's a few I could name, but for me, the, uh, the one, the teacher who had the, the biggest 
influence in terms of the direction I actually ended up going because um, in terms of A-levels, I, I did maths, geography and PE and I was going to, at the time, I wanted to be a, a maths teacher. That was actually the plan. Very early, I kind of decided that I was on the, the teaching path, as it were. Uh, I say very early in terms of during the A-level phase. Um, and a guy called Richard Counter, who was the, uh, the, the geography teacher at St. Vincent uh, St. Vincent's College in Gosports, and he was just just the, his manner, um, and uh, and had a brilliant teacher in the the formative years before that in terms of GCSE in terms of uh, Mr. Denning his his wife Mrs. Denning, um, a guy called um, Mark Johnson, brilliant teachers, but he just it absolutely resonated with me, and it was it changed fundamentally the direction I was going in. Um, in terms of thinking the maths was a route for me to probably uh, by December of year 12, just loving the, the geography, just loving the waiting at the door to go in to see what we were going to be doing next and how we we're going to be doing it. And I look back and I couldn't tell you um, what it was in terms of teaching methods or um strategies or anything like that i couldn't tell you it was about it was just the just resonated with me just the passion the enthusiasm and just the um and the support i suppose you know in, in terms of it mirrored uh, his enthusiasm i kind of mirrored back and actually I, I really enjoyed the two years um in terms of year 12 and year 13 and obviously that changed my uh, university applications in terms of going from I think at the time you used to have six applications of six maths to three geography three maths and then uh, to be perfectly frank I had an absolutely disastrous maths exam in year 13 and then just made the decision that geography was the way forward. The reason why I asked that question is because it's the one thing that I always just love to come back to anyway like how lucky we are and reminding ourselves as well you know the impact that we have on a daily basis just in the same way that every child that walks in front of us and comes into our classroom and I just think it's always really nice to kind of reflect back because whenever I hear somebody's story about who their favorite teacher was you you automatically start thinking about what we're doing on a daily basis and how important that is you know, the relation, like we said, the relationships are fundamental, it's key, but actually how lucky we are. I honestly, and I do say this wholeheartedly, it's a brilliant job. And sometimes I think people can forget that and get bogged down with things, but actually it's the only job that I can think of and that I certainly know of where you're guaranteed that something is going to make you laugh every single day. Usually the more ridiculous, the better. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you shouldn't be laughing. Either. Exactly. <laughs> uh, That's what I was yeah. trying to say, yeah, <laughs> kind of politely. <laughs> um, okay, so to flip this massively. Oh, actually, no, before, you've just said something that I actually thought was quite... So you always knew you wanted to be a teacher, you always knew you wanted to be in education, but you just were going to go down a maths route, not geography. Yeah, so my, my cousins are teachers, um, so they were quite uh, inspirational for me from uh, a young age, actually. They both teach um, in Staffordshire, um, so I, I knew I was always leaning towards that, but it's a, maths was my, my first, uh, I loved maths at school, it's absolutely, uh, I, I think I enjoyed the, the, the binary approach of either being right or wrong. I thought it was very safe ground in terms of you knew where you were with it. Um, and, I mean, I actually enjoyed pretty much all, all my subjects. 
Um, but the maths was a standout. And then actually from the move from GCSE to A-level, uh, you know, for, it was pretty I'm going to use a geography term. It was a seismic shift <laughs> in terms of the, uh, the thought process. And it was a, yeah, it's, and it was a great decision. It was an absolutely great decision. It's, I think geography is one of these subjects that, you know, you want the kids to do and opt in to do in terms of GCSE. You don't want to force them to do it because I just think in terms of that awareness of the, the world around them, the, the awareness of the relationships between uh, the environment and people and, and, and people and people um, is just essential. And we, we always talk about this, you know, this 21st century world, which I do question sometimes is the importance of thinking about why we're preparing for jobs that we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's slightly overplayed. Uh, you know, but actually, I think from a, a geography point of view, the geography and the history is content areas, you know, I, I think are really important to young people. But that's why I love English, you see, because I feel like in English you cover all bases. I mean, what you said about maths is the exact reason why I always struggled with it. The fact that there had to be a right or a wrong, where it's English. Yeah. I'm quite happy to take root A, B, C, D, X, Y and Z, and then I'll find out which way I'm going. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I think humanities subjects teaching English, we are very fortunate that we can apply what we're teaching to pre- pretty much any situation. And that's when the lessons go off on a complete tangent. And that's when I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, which are the best lessons, aren't they? You know, it's the, the ones where the student responses or your responses take it into that different direction. It's the uh, you know, the, over planning is the death of creativity. It sounds counterintuitive, but the like I say, the best lessons are the ones where you have that freedom to, to chase thoughts or comments or whatever it might be. Apart from when I realised twenty minutes into a conversation that I've been hoodwinked once again in having a chat with the kids <laughs> rather than actually doing any writing, they are very good at getting me for that one. I think. Um, so yeah, to go the complete opposite, then another question that I always really love to ask people, and I'm really interested actually to know what yours is, Brian. So, what teaching or school strategy would you send to Room One Hundred and One if you had the opportunity? Uh. You can say more than one. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult one. I have got you know, uh, it's not. I don't think it's one particular thing. I, I I've got to be conscious in terms of actually how I kind of say it. <laughs> yeah. It's the. I think sometimes in terms of where we are with educational research, is it feels like we're searching for a silver bullet. And we get trends or we get something that becomes very popular and it gets a lot of anecdotal support, whatever it might actually be. And then it becomes the next thing that we should be actually doing. Whereas actually, I think when you when you take it back to basics and back to simplicity, you know, good learning is is the positive relationships. It's knowing where children actually are. It's knowing actually how to give them a you know multimodal approach to different information and then do it in terms of small steps and celebrate the successes and get them enjoying being in the classroom i think sometimes um again it's probably with the best of intent because we are we're, we're so we really want to do the, the best thing for the kids uh, obviously that you know it drives what we do it is i think sometimes the, some of the the application of research is becomes a little bit of an obstacle to actually what we are trying to achieve 
Uh, and an example for that for me would be the, you know, the, the learning styles in terms of the way that we, it feels intuitive, but actually what we're not doing is we're not applying it correctly. You know, the, the idea of actually identifying an individual student's uh, learning style and delivering that predominant manner, you know, that's been widely debunked now, but mm-hmm. it, it does seem to circle back through again. Whereas actually the reality, there's nothing wrong with that. But what you want to do with the visual audio kinesthetic is actually just present the information in a variety of different ways because that will be more sticky, you know. But it's not about an individual learning style. It's about actually the information you're trying to deliver is doing that in different ways will make more connections. What a great answer to be. That was a very good politician's response, I've got to say. I mean, turning that round into a total positive. <laughs> that was great. Well, I have to say well done for that one. That was, that was really good. Like I say, it's the application, yes. not the the content itself. That I think is the, uh, the that we need to review. I see. When you were saying as well about being a teacher, we joke about it being the family business in my family. And I had my cousin who is also a head of English, and she was straight in there. She was card sorts, no more card sorts, and she was get me my visualizer. I was like, oh, we are literally the same person. It really is the family business. I love um, a card sort though. Oh, oh no. it's the guillotining it's the laminating it's the losing them no it's just too much faff for me but you do know I love my visualizer so there you go I'm turning it back on its head um and so finally to kind of close what has been a brilliant interview um I would just like to know from you again huge question you don't just have to say one thing um but what is the best or some of the best pieces of teaching or education advice that you have ever been given that you would like to impart with everybody who is listening? Uh, It's it's a big question. It's the, I honestly don't know. I think there's so many uh, different facets in terms of the job. I think the the best bit of advice actually in terms of uh, recent, which are more and more, aware of and I think I'm more more aware of in terms of just what the research is kind of showing for the kids is just the importance of actually well-being I think it is the the importance of recognizing the fact that we work in it is potentially a very stressful job it's potentially a job with lots of moving parts um, lots of priorities lots of pressures uh, and just Sometimes we get so close to things that we think are really important, which then put huge amounts of pressure on ourselves. Uh, and then what we're not actually able to see is the bigger picture of the fact you could do things slightly differently. Um, so I do think it, it's, you know, it's a very busy job. You know, we talk about what a great job we have. Each, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's absolutely wonderful. But we also do talk about sometimes during the term, we talk about those grind weeks where it's actually really hard and, and you know uh, what's actually happening. And I think it, we need to, it needs to become more accepted and more supported in terms of actually the staff well-being, you know, and actually, you know, what are we actually asking staff to be doing? Are we asking staff to be doing things because it has an impact for the students or are we asking staff to be doing things because we've always asked staff to be doing those things and it fills a folder somewhere? You know, it's the, I think, um, again, over the last couple of years, the use of technology is, is going to provide some opportunities here for us to really review what staff workload looks like um, and, you know, how we can keep more people in the profession. Because it is a bit ridiculous where we're both sat here saying what a great job we have. And yet back in the UK, the numbers of staff leaving the profession 
within the initial stages of their career it is a massive concern mm-hmm. no i completely agree i think you i think you're totally right and i do think that staff well-being like you say is something that really should and i don't know maybe it's just because we're in an environment where it feels like it's got right and it and it is something that is a focus but i think you kind of forget and take for granted like you say if we go all the way back to some of the things that you were saying and it's the similar answer every person that I always ask. It's that work-life balance and international teaching. We do work hard and the days are long. But somehow, whether it's just because the sun is shining, it makes us get outside. I don't know what it is. But we, we have significantly a better work-life balance. And I'm quite happy not to question why that is. Um, I'm just quite happy to roll with it, to be honest, <laughs> and make the most of it. Um, but I've got to say, because I've just realised we are on 8.30. And Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to kind of turn the tables a little bit and ask you the questions for once rather than the other way around. Um, so thank you so much for coming and joining me on the show today. It has been a pleasure to speak to you. Not at all. Thanks very much for inviting me. And thank you to everybody who has been listening or who has downloaded the show. Like I said, I will be back with not the drive home show, but the twilight show from the 30th of June. So I shall look forward to being with you all then. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.